Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio, where we dive into all things athletics. As always, we have another wonderful show coming up for you today. So it's been said by many a wise man, when you're at the professional level, there's not a whole lot of coaching going on there, right? It's been said at a lot of conferences, even at the college level, you're recruiting, you're bringing in kind of the best athletes to perform for you. You don't have to do as much, but if you truly want to make an impact on the industry, if you want to make an impact on lives, you got to get to the high school level. And when you're on Strength Coach Twitter, it's absolutely amazing what these high school guys are bringing to the table. Just last weekend, I was talking with former guest Dan Mullins about his doctorate, a doctorate program going on at the high school level uh, and the things that he wants to bring to his thesis and his research. We think of our guest last week, Joe Stutowski. Oh, I can't say his last name. Sorry, Joe. Uh, but anyway, a, a sports performance director at a high school or a sports science director, like what is going on with that? So we're going to continue the trend of bringing high level, high thinking high school guys to the table. And today we have none other than Tyler Franklin. If you haven't heard Tyler, you're really going to enjoy this. He's going to bring a lot to the table. Tyler is the director of athletic performance at Murray High School in Kentucky. You know, when it comes to Kentucky, there's going to be some backwoods awesome stuff. So I can't wait to hear uh, what Tyler's bringing to the table. Tyler, welcome to the show. Give the people an idea here of kind of just, you know, the story could be long, could be short of how you ended up there at Murray. Uh, I will keep it as short as possible for you guys. Um, I uh, went to Fred Hardman University, a small NAI school and was in the exercise science program. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I still don't know what I want to do. Uh, but <clears throat> I knew I wanted to do something with the body, training athletes. Uh, after I got my bachelor's, coach there offered me to be the GA and get my master's paid for. So I was like, free school, that's for me. Uh, so I got my master's in education and was running our baseball strength program and then handle some of the softball and girls soccer team, a little bit of their strength program, not as much hands-on with their program as the baseball program. Uh, and then after my tenure there and got my master's, I went into teaching, was a uh, middle school PE coaching baseball and kind of just pra- training privately with, uh, just teams here and there, and then some private individuals. Skip forward to meeting my wife, who is in Murray, which is why I'm here. Moved from just below Nashville to Murray. Still was teaching PE and kind of training privately with the people that I knew here. I didn't really have a name here in Kentucky at the time. And then fast forward to five years ago, when our principal decided to do away with the athletic block that was at Murray High and incorporate the class that I now teach, which is called Advanced PE. Uh, And I've been here the past five years running strength and conditioning classes at Murray High School. Wonderful. Okay, so we're going to pull a couple things out from there. So first... You got a master's degree in education. Was exercise science or a kinesiology, were those classes offered? Uh, why did you go the education route? 
they were not offered uh, for masters. So just my bachelor's was offered at the school I was at. And I went the education route because my coach pretty much convinced me it was going to be easier to get a job teaching right out the gate than and I wasn't I wasn't very well educated on what the strength world looked like then. Uh, and I still really wasn't until I got to Murray, you know. Uh, I wasn't on social media and, and then got on Twitter probably four or five years ago and saw that, you know, there are people out there that make a living doing the strength and conditioning. Uh, mm-hmm. But pretty much went the teaching route because I knew I would be able to get a job a lot quicker than having to go through the ranks of – I knew after I left Freed that I had zero desire to be at the college level. Uh, okay. Um, and that was – I just got burnt out on the, the amount of hours that was needed from me being with the baseball team running the strength program. I just – I had zero desire to be at the college level. I, I still have zero desire to be there. So that's a very, very interesting point. And let's, you know, unpack that a little bit. I am in the college sector. I would definitely say that I I have a, a great uh, organization that I work with at Liberty University and a great like work-life balance. It, it just, it's, it's awesome. But there, there are the, the ups and downs, the highs and lows throughout the year. And I have been through the influence of the Ross Garner himself pushing uh, graduate assistance towards the education route so it could open up high school options. Just talk a little bit more about deciding to go that high school route for us. Uh, <clears throat> I had zero desire to even be at the, the high school level uh, mm-hmm. coming from like the standpoint of teaching PE. Uh, whenever I interviewed at Murray High, I didn't even – I didn't go into it knowing that my principal now had started this class. It was just, you know, he had, I thought it was going to be your, your health and your regular PE class. But at the time I was driving 45 minutes to work, loved my job, loved the people I worked for at the school before Murray. So I kind of did it as, you know, I'm going to do this just in case I'm going to go interview uh, I knew the principal that came in. That's my principal now. I knew him. Uh, he knew my background with training and stuff like that, but he didn't give me a heads up on what I was going into. So I sat down in the interview and he's like, well, this isn't your typical PE health. You're going to be training athletes and you'll have some kids that aren't athletes. He's like, this is my vision. This is what I'm trying to do with it. So whenever he, he said that, I was like, all right, I could be at the high school level if I'm doing that type of work <clears throat> because for the most part, I'll have kids that want to be in that class. Uh, but other than that, I like if it was regular health and PE, like I had zero desire to be at the high school level and teach that subject. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, just because my experience, you know, my student teaching experience, I was at the high school level doing that and kids I mean kids didn't want to be involved in playing games and stuff like that so when he when he said this is what we're trying to do 
I was like, yeah, I, I could definitely do that. And, uh, I mean, I guess the rest is history. We, we've built a pretty good program and it's a lot of thanks to him and his vision. Like I had zero idea that that was even an option. And it, I mean, it's not as prevalent here in West Kentucky as it is. You get some private schools in middle Kentucky and up on the state line by Ohio. There's a lot of, not a lot, but quite a few more strength coaches doing their thing during the day uh, than I was aware of whenever I went into this job five years ago. Uh, but I love my job. I love the people I work for. I love my group of athletes that I have. And uh, yeah, would you would you say that you were extremely intentional and kind of cultivated your undergrad education into your master's into going the route that you're down going down now or was it more of just like these things just kind of not to say they fell in your lap because obviously you worked to kind of get to that level but like could you have planned this could you have repeated this uh or was this a route that just like man god kind of just threw at you and it turned out to be un unreal and awesome no for sure it was it it's definitely something that was you know, laid at my feet, laid in my lap. I've never been, and so to say, I've never been like a goal-oriented person. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I've always been just, I want to do the best I can at what I'm doing. And I feel like that's going to open up doors for me and kind of present situations that that will be challenging and hopefully make me a, a better person. Uh so I would definitely say, you know, this kind of fell in my lap, the situation, and I've I've tried to make the best of it. And I, <clears throat> I think we're doing a pretty decent job so far. Okay. So I, I set you up for this. You and I had a very similar uh, start, in, in my opinion. So my, my job here at Liberty just fell into my lap. I met one of the hockey coaches at a CrossFit gym. He said, Hey, apply for this job. Didn't really know what I was doing. It fooled everyone in my interview. All of a sudden it's just here. I still put the work in, uh, to be able to kind of earn that position, but I didn't really know what it was, what it was about when I kind of signed on the dotted line. Almost seems like you were in the same route where, Hey, I'm going to take this job. And then the principal explains like, here's, here's my vision for it. So, that's how you kind of entered into it, but you kind of saying, um, yeah, it just, you know, kind of happens, whatever. I don't necessarily agree with because now, uh, you, you stand as the director of Kentucky. I have to get all these letters, right. N H S S C A. It's a mouthful, man. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's too much. Uh, uh, so talk about like, why, why are you doing that? And then once you kind of say that and uh, you know, you're super being humble, then get unhumble of, are you, are you just like, Hey, I want to be the best. And I want to attack things like a regular person doesn't just want to sign up to be the state director. So how did that come about? And then what is it about you? What's driving you to do something like that? All right. Uh, good question. Uh, so I, I got pretty close with uh, Logan Neff, who was the former state director here in Kentucky. Great human. Uh, he was at Beachwood, which is right <clears throat> right there on the Ohio state line, and he left to go to a 
uh, school across state line. I believe it's Indian Hills now. That's uh, in Ohio. <clears throat> so we were at NatCon last year, and he had already, I guess, known that he was going to make that jump. And he got with me and Mike Winkler, which is our regional director, and just asked if it would be something I was interested in. Uh, so I, you know, I thought about it and there's no, there's no pay involved with it. Uh, but I enjoy what I do. And I guess the reason I took it was to try to challenge myself, put myself in an uncomfortable position. Uh, one that I probably thought, you know, I'm going to have to work a little bit, get out of my comfort zone and essentially try to be just better, learn a little more about what I'm doing, connect with other coaches, grow the community in Kentucky. Because uh, mm-hmm. I still think there's a lot of coaches in Kentucky that need some light shined on them because they're doing good work. Uh, yeah. So I guess branching out and growing the community in Kentucky and learning from some like-minded people is one of the reasons I took it, I guess. Okay. Is that a good answer? No, it's a great answer. And again, digging in deeper. So it's not necessarily the crazy competitive, hey, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be the absolute best at it. Um, I'm going to keep pushing, pushing to the top. What's more top than Kentucky State Director, but more so of a let's create great relationships. Let me bring people together. Let's make the field better. Let's keep kind of pushing this forward together and there might be a little bit of both in there but am i am i kind of right with that assessment yeah man i am i'm a firm believer that life's all about making connections uh building relationships and just trying to impact people whoever is around me because there's a lot of good people that have impacted me and some of my choices uh so i guess just a way of of giving back uh makes me feel a little better about what i'm doing uh, mm-hmm. as a human. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And so I kind of want to set the stage. Ross being at the high school level is going to be able to ask just better questions right. in my opinion, but kind of last couple things for me. So you, you take this, uh, role, this position at Murray, you eventually take this role, this position, uh, being state director now in 2023 very recently you're named uh state coach of the year so you're you're really good right so would you say <laughs> hey i'm state coach of the year because uh there aren't a lot of us would you say you're state coach of the year because you're running uh, a program that maybe other high schools aren't right and then kind of dig into that of maybe why uh or is it just love like, hey, um, I'm, I'm the most well-known guy? Like, what what do you think was one of the main factors in, you know, being voted selected uh, to that? And just kind of just, again, we're just trying to set the scene for people to kind of understand where you're at, what your program is like before we dive into some more X's and O's. Uh my answer would probably be, and I know, and I know, I know it's hard to like talk about yourself like that, but just again, kind of, kind of let people know the path and the route so that they could kind of replicate and get themselves to that type of level as well. Uh, <clears throat> my answer would probably be the first 
answer you spat out. There's there's not very many of us in the state, so. Okay. Uh, but I think I mean I, <clears throat> I think on social media I wanted to start highlighting like what we're doing mostly because just to showcase the the kids that I work with and uh, more than anything. So I think putting myself out there, giving a glimpse of what we're doing at Murray high probably helped with that selection. Uh, but I'm, I don't think that there's anything special that I'm doing that's deserving of that. It's awesome to be awarded that. And it's very humbling because there are a lot better coaches and a lot more deserving coaches in my mind. Uh, but most everything that I do that I put on social media is because I want to highlight what we're doing uh, as far as our student population goes. And I guess showcasing that you can have a successful uh, strength and conditioning program during your school day and mm-hmm. kind of let people know that it's possible and that this is kind of how we're doing it. I love it. And so you just worded that so well. It's something I never thought of, of, Hey, if you're at the high school level, you need to be showing off your athletes. Cause essentially like you're another recruiting tool, yeah. right? If I'm a college, I get to see that. It now makes sense of why every single coach is retweeting their kids blessed to receive a D one offer, <laughs> right? Like, okay. I never thought of it that way of like, yeah, you're, you're highlighting these young men and women who come give you your blood, sweat and tears, give you their blood, sweat and tears, to kind of be able to, you know, promote them, push them out where when all of us were going through high school, like that wasn't really a thing. No, it wasn't. Uh, I remember my, my junior year, uh, someone be like, Hey, I'm going to message you on Twitter today. And I'm like, oh, loser. <laughs> what, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So I guess kind of last thing for me, so we could, again, kind of keep setting the table. Is there, um, Hey, I didn't have this when I was younger and I wish I did. And so that's why I pour so much into these kids to give them the opportunity. I didn't have mindset. Is there a man, I'm just competitive and I want to win at everything I do mindset. Like what, what's, what's kind of driving and motivating for you? Cause stepping in the weight room every single day, coaching your butt off with a lot of kids who most of them, uh, you know, have other things kind of going on. They might be, like, it's hard. It's a lot. And you have to really, really love it. So where's the love? Where's the passion? What's the drive for you every day? Uh, I, I am competitive. I'm not competitive on uh, that realm of things that I have to be the, the best. Uh, there are certain aspects that that kind of carries over for me. My wife is more that way where she, uh-huh. she wants to be good at everything she does. And she usually is. And it's annoying. Uh, but my, mine more is, I didn't have that. I didn't have that in high school. And, uh, I think it's a blessing not only for our athletes, but also for our coaches to our sport coaches. Like they don't have, they don't have to deal with that part of, you know, uh, playing high school athletics. They, trust me with all their athletes to get uh, that side of things done. And then they can just go get better at their sport, which is, which is how I, I pitch what I'm doing to those sport coaches. And 
I've been there for five years and I've got everyone on the same page as me. And it, I think it's a blessing in that aspect that they don't have to worry about that. Uh, but ultimately like I'm not, we're not sending a bunch of kids to the next level to play sports uh, year in, year out. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to show how <clears throat> a lot of these kids, how to take care of themselves and hopefully train athletically for the rest of their lives. Cause the older I get, like, I don't give a shit about how much weight I'm moving. Like I want to feel good when I leave the gym. I want to be able to go play a pickup game of something and not regret it for three days after. And I hope that, no, that's my hope is that a lot of them will take some of the stuff that we're doing in their four years with me and continue to carry that on because I know in high school, there's a lot of stuff in the subjects that I, that, that I was in that I don't use that now, but, uh, health and fitness is something that you're going to use the rest of your life, hopefully. Uh, and that's one of my biggest, uh, takeaways from it, from the class that I teach is that I'm trying to instill some healthy habits for their future. And so they can take care of themselves and on down the road and hopefully impact someone else. Goes back to the intro of uh, if you want to make a big impact on people, there's no better place than the high school level and having coaches like yourself uh, who have the heart and the passion and uh, are pursuing high level excellence. Yeah. You're, you're going to have that to touch on what you said there. When I was going through high school, I thought my whole life was just going to be triangles. Like I'm going through geometry class and like, man, I got to know these triangles because they're really hitting home on it. And I'm going to be making dinner based off of triangles one day. Uh, So yeah, I I would definitely agree. There's a couple subjects that maybe didn't quite hit home, but Todd, thanks for just giving that like explanation of here's who I am. Here's how I got here. Here's what kind of motivates me, fires me up. Uh, I I hope to uh, get as uh, or get a little less humble as we get into the X's and O's here with Ross and really like, Hey, here's what we do. Here's why, because this stuff works. Um, so yeah, with that, Ross, kick it away. We we know the man now. Let's uh, let's pick his brain on some training thoughts. All right, Tyler. So, and you you touched on it. You've been at Murray for five years now, and you know you I don't you know the job fell in your lap, however you want to phrase it. What has been the steps for you? Kind of what you've learned here these first five years of of setting up your program. You know, when you first get there, you're we're all figuring it out. You know, I'm I'm seven months into this job in Texas. You're still trying to figure out everything that, that you got going on. So, you know, as you've progressed, what have been those kind of steps in growth and what have been the things you've focused on in order to establish that program? Uh, <clears throat> I've said this every time that someone's asked me about that. Uh, so I was not used to running a weight room full of 30 plus kids. Of course, my first year there I think my top class was like maybe 17. Uh, But even then, like I was used to managing middle schoolers, which is chaos in itself, but not, not in a weight room. And then like me coming into that first year thinking that I had to write a program for every single athlete, every single sport. uh, It drove me crazy, man. I, COVID hit that first year and it allowed me to take a step back and kind of revamp whenever we got shut down. Uh, 
but ultimately making connections. And that's one of the reasons I, I got on Twitter and saw that there, there were some other high school strength coaches having to do what I'm doing. So I learned a lot from just, you know, reaching out and picking other coaches brains. I remember getting in touch with Brandon Herring and, uh, I think we spent like an hour and a half on the phone going over like what he does and how he manages his groups. Uh, I'd say that'd be the biggest thing is just putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and letting other coaches know, like I need some help on some guidance on, cause what I'm doing right now is not working. Uh, so after that, I mean, I switched to, to where I'm just writing one program for my athletes uh, we've got a ton of kids that play multiple sports. So, and even the ones that don't, the club season nowadays are crazy. Uh, so I switched to where we're doing one program and I'm just manipulating the volume, the intensity. Uh, some kids might be doing, you know, back squats, front squats. Like it's ultimately we're, we're pulling from that same program with, some few, a few variations in there. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. That answered the question. What? Well, yeah, it does. And so the, uh, you know, writing one program. When I when I first got to Texas here, I was kind of halfway doing maybe like three programs, and that lasted for about a month. <laughs> and I was like, this that's not going to work. And so you know, generally generally speaking, right now it kind of boils down to I have in and out of season. Uh, based off of two days a week. And then I have uh, two other teams that I see four days. And so naturally the four day teams get a little different treatment than the two days. Right. Uh, just cause they're a little more invested. And so I can do some other things with them, you know, and it's interesting as you're building a program, uh, building the trust with coaches, you know, and getting them on board with what you're trying to do. Because if you've never had a strength coach before at the high school level, it typically goes one of two ways. And the same thing kind of happens in college as well of I've either got a guy that's like, man, thank goodness I don't have to do this anymore. And there's somebody else that's an expert for it. Or it's, hey, uh, I've always done it this way. And we were really successful 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And we haven't been great. But man, that year that we did good, we ran this program. So we're going to keep going. Right. And you, you kind of battle that. And so what's been your biggest thing? on building trust with coaches? Uh, communication is key. Uh, I think both of you know that. <clears throat> and presenting what you're trying to do, having conversations with them on, you know, what they're envisioning in their head and what as little or as much as some of them know, talking through what, what they think is an ideal program for their athletes. Uh, our baseball coach was one of the first, and I don't know if it was because I had a, a baseball background and I kind of knew him before uh, working together at Murray, but he was one of the first ones that trusted me and was like, look, I'll have every one of my baseball guys sign up. They're going to be in your class. And I guess just a trickle effect from there that, all right, well, Baseball guy, baseball coach is trusting this peon uh, to handle his athletes. So 
then then it was the soccer coach and then it, just a trickle effect of like just getting one one coach to trust me communicating with them and the other coaches realizing all right well this guy knows a little bit of, about what he's doing and he's getting some pretty good results my guys seem to enjoy going to his class uh the last the last sport that was on board was about a year and a half, two years in almost was football. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it's, I think, I think with football, you get more of that mentality, Ross, of we won doing what I'm doing. And some of the programs I've seen for some, some, for some football guys, it's just like, you didn't win because of this. Like you won in spite of this crazy training you're doing. Uh, but I finally got the football team on board and then was handling their summer stuff. And then the head coach and the head assistant coach decided to go to other schools. <laughs> so here I am starting this, this process of trying to win a new football coach over, uh, and let me handle his, his athletes. And it, it's been a process, man. Uh, Football is one of those you kind of have to – it's a lot of give and take with them because there is that, that background of we're going to hammer the weight room and that's all we're ever going to do, and this is why we win. Uh, so it's a lot of give and take with the football for me, uh, kind of doing some of what they're wanting and still being able to put my own twist on it or be able to check other boxes that – are getting overfilled with them. Uh, but as of right now, I, I'm sitting in a pretty good spot with our uh, sport coaches, and we've all got pretty good relationships uh, communicating wants and needs. So, Yeah, man, the, and I think the reason why, you know, you get some football programs that are like that is because football is 90% preparation. Very true. You're only going to play 10 to 16 games in a season. And so you've got all this time to prepare. And when you spend that much time having to practice and lift and stuff, man, you, you know that there's going to be a bigger influence on the end result. So, like, you know, you get that's a unique situation for football where every other sport at this point, it's mm. year-round club. It's, it's a much different thing. And so True. I think that's why you battle that with football. You know, I've been, I've been blessed for my last really three locations where my football coach has been great. Uh, the one that I have here in Texas, I am, I'll ask him stuff and he's like, man, whatever you want to do, that's awesome. like, just, just give me a thought. Like, what do you think? It's a good problem to have. And so, uh, uh, nevertheless. And so, so Tyler, we've touched on a little bit, you're building your program up, how you're building your, your trust with coaches here with that. What has been the, it could be currently, it could be years ago. What, what SNC coaches have kind of influenced you? along the way to get your, your lens here. And then we'll kind of dive into the X's and O's. Uh, so I made a little list looking at the questions we were going to ask. Uh, I've got a list of people that I don't know personally that I just kind of follow, never had a conversation with. Uh, Vernon Griffith does some good stuff. Uh, Max Marzo, he seems like a lunatic and I love it. He just doesn't care. He does a lot of very athletic things. He's not afraid to try like different uh, things out. I love that. Uh, Alan Cousins. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. 
but he dives into a lot of the HRV training, conditioning stuff that that I've been going a rabbit hole down. Uh, Andrew Flat, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's first name, Pratik Patel, that deals a lot with nutrition stuff and the sports performance. I think he used to be with the Giants. Uh, I love Danny Foley stuff. I love the him how much he explores just different ranges and a lot of unique stuff he does with the landmine. Uh, Jonas Dodu uh, and then James Clear and Steve Magnus from just, uh, I guess, a leadership and doing hard things perspective. Uh, and then personally, man, I'm, I'm in touch with Tim Kettering quite a bit. I like to pick his brain, him and Missy uh, Mitchell. Uh, I talk to John Mark quite a bit. Uh, and then our my advisory board here in Kentucky, we've got a group chat. And then I've got a group chat with my all my members in the state of Kentucky that we're just having that open dialogue of like, hey, this is what we're dealing with, uh, bouncing ideas off each other. That's been awesome for especially a lot of younger coaches that are in the state of Kentucky that join our organization to just be a part of that group chat. Uh, whether they're saying anything or not, there's still that, that thread of other coaches back and forth trying to figure things out. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Nutsack Nelson. I get a lot of valuable information <laughs> from my home, my homies in that group chat. Uh, and Brendan Thompson's helped me quite a bit with uh sprint stuff i'm sure he gets tired of me texting and blowing him up but a lot of those people that i mentioned have kind of shaped and steered what i do with my programming with my athletes and then kind of individually what i do with myself to take care of myself yeah i think chris and blair can appreciate how much i text them back and forth (laughs) i got nobody else to bounce ideas off of so they're always just getting a random thought that pops in my head question on that group chat for your your state of Kentucky, is that via text or is that an app? Like, how are you guys doing that? All right, so because if if that's a text group, that's gonna that's a lot. I did the conditioning cohort with uh, Tim and Missy, and they had a group chat on WhatsApp, and that's a platform that's a platform they use. So whenever I became director, I was like, man, it would be awesome if. I could get in touch with every coach we have, whether they're part of the NHSSEA or not, just a, a strength coach in the state of Kentucky. So uh, I uh, talked to my advisory guys and they were like, this would be awesome. Uh, I don't know how many of them would want to have to download another app and then keep up with that. I was like, well, it's going to be a lot better than text because I think text chains only go to like 20 people. And then you get, the bum in there that doesn't have an iPhone that ruins the whole iChat, you know, uh, no offense to anybody that doesn't have an iPhone. Uh, but we got it together. I sent emails out to every AD in the state of Kentucky. I had a list uh, with our, uh, within the NHSSCA of members that were current old members, inactive members. And I got in touch with them. And I think, I think we're currently at, right at 40 coaches that we have a group chat with and WhatsApp. And it's, I mean, it's open dialogue, uh, coaches asking questions. Uh, I had one of our, uh, 
coaches in Louisville, she reached out to me the other day. It's her first year on the job and she, she's dealing with a lot of frustrations on with sport coaches, bringing her programs and like, this is what I want my guys to do and this and that. So we set up a call and I mean, we talked for nearly an hour, just kind of what the process looked, process looked like for me and kind of made her feel a lot better that she was headed in the right direction. She just kind of needed to stand behind her principles and not give in. Uh, so the, the group chat with our, our state's been pretty awesome uh, for me, getting to know those coaches and just that open dialogue. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. And it sounds phenomenal, right? Like that sounds like such a brilliant thing. We're, we're yeah. trying to head no, that way. So. That's, that's good state directing right there, how huh, a boy. <laughs> uh, Ross, keep, keep her going. Sorry, I'll I'll keep derailing us. You're good, man. I love it. I love the banner. No, that was a good question. I was I was thinking the same thing because that's a heck of a lot to manage. That's super smart, though. So, uh, Tyler, you're in a pretty uh, tight space there in there in Murray. I've seen the room. You've talked about it before. You're sprinting in the hallways. Can always appreciate that. Uh, how do you typically kind of break up your weeks and your workouts in order to get the flow, the flow in and the sprinting and all that good stuff? All right. I'm sure my principal is tired of me talking about how little my weight room space is, but, uh, my dad always said, if you want the world to move, you got to push it. So hopefully I'm pushing enough to where eventually I'll get me a, a nice, a nicer space. And, and that, and that's my only, that's my only bugaboo. Like we have, we have our gym, main gym set up, and then we have that long hallway that you see us sprinting in. And both of those are ideal locations. Like I couldn't ask for a better setup unless the gym was turfed over. But uh, I love that my principal allows me to use the hallway. Like we have tape down for uh, yard markers and he's never once asked me to peel that up. Like it's never even been a question like, Hey, Franklin, I need you to get that tape up off the ground. That says 10 yards. Like it looks gross. Like not once, not nevas. Uh, but where we're at currently, uh, I feel it's, it's been really great for us this year is we go to the weight room Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and Tuesdays and Thursdays, we don't go to the weight room at all. We're in the main gym and either running or jumping there in that, uh, the big hallway that we do all that stuff. Uh, and it has worked out pretty great for us this year. We're, we feel good for the most part. All of our athletes do. And, uh, I feel like our numbers are still steadily improving. Um, my one, my Monday day is kind of an upper body emphasis. Uh, I think last nine weeks we would do uh, sled pushes, sled sprints on that Monday to kind of get our legs back in the game after the weekend. But I don't do a whole lot of lower body on Monday. So when we run our uh, max velocity sprints on Tuesday, they're somewhat fresh unless I have my gym bros going and smashing legs on Monday. Uh, but for the most part, and that's what I tell them, even the ones that go and do stuff outside, like save your legs for Tuesday, go smash them on Tuesday night or Wednesday. And 
it's been pretty good so far. I still have a couple kids that come in, like, my quads are so sore. Right? I'm like, come on, man. Like, that's the one thing I ask, just be fresh for Tuesday. Uh, but Tuesdays are max velocity day, and we usually pair that up with our uh, vertical jumps. Wednesday, we do a work capacity day. Uh, this nine weeks, last nine weeks, we would stay in the gym and kind of do a cardiac output day to where we're just getting some low intensity stuff, trying to get in those in season athletes kind of back into a parasympathetic state, recovering from any games they had Monday or Tuesday. Uh, but we moved to the weight room, uh, this nine weeks and we're doing kind of like an EMOM where we're working on the minute every minute. Uh, I've got four different exercises that we do. Uh, and the main goal for that, especially my out of season athletes, I want them to work hard, get their reps done, and then try to recover from that before the next minute hits. Uh, we steadily increase that. So for the first three weeks, we'll do three rounds of that. The next three weeks will be four rounds and the last three weeks we'll move up to five rounds and hopefully expand some of that aerobic capacity for them. Uh, my in-season athletes are doing the, the same type of uh, workout, but their movements are a little different. They're probably doing more mobility stuff, depending on if they're getting minutes in the game. If it's a freshman or JV not getting very much playing time, then they'll they'll do what my out-of-season athletes are doing. Uh, but when you walk in, we're all doing that same thing. Uh, they're just doing – some of them might be doing different movements. Uh, Thursday, we we are doing kind of our acceleration horizontal plyo movement base where we're do, we'll do short fly tens to the five-yard lead-in, and we'll get some broad jumps uh, measurements. And then Friday, we we do full body, and we hammer we hammer legs a little more than we did on that Monday and a little more than on Wednesday since – most of them have the two days off to recover as much as a high school kid can recover, I suppose. Uh, but that's kind of what that looks like as far as the weight room goes with my tight space, everything that I program is dictated by the logistics. And uh, both of you understand that, uh, I need someone in the rack doing a movement. I got someone beside in between the racks doing a movement and then we've got we started doing a little more landmine stuff. So we've got someone probably doing a landmine movement and then the space in between something with just body weight. Uh, That's good. So looking at your your week here, um, upper Monday, Tuesday, I know you're doing your max velo. Are you pairing that with lower stuff at all in the weight room or are you just sprinting? We do not go to the weight room at all on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, and that's what I tried my first couple of years. I, I tried to, so I get 50 minutes, a little background. They see me every day all year and we have 50 minute classes. So by the time they change, give or take, I'm probably looking at 35, 40 minutes. Uh, and it was, I used to even warm up on our weight room days. I used to warm up in the gym and then shift over to the weight room. And it was just, it was just a lot of wasted time and a lot of, uh, herding cattle to get to the weight room and then get started. So I just cut out, I just cut out 
trying to go do plyo stuff or anything and then go to the weight room uh, just for the sake of my sanity and uh, being efficient. When we're in the weight room, our warm-up is included in everything we do. We'll do some extensive plyo stuff, pretty much just preparing for the movements that we're doing that day. So weight room, we're in that weight room, in the gym, in the hallway. That's what we're doing that day as well. I don't, I don't try to do both. If I had, if I had an indoor facility where everything was there together and I didn't have to herd cattle back and forth, I think that obviously that would be ideal. My programming would, it would look a little different. But uh, for now, in the logistics that I have, I think this is the best format we've got going right now. And hell, that may change in three weeks. Who knows? For for clarity, Tyler, so you're saying uh, weight room, you're saying gym. Gym, like the basketball court, wood floor, and all that? Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, the, the basketball gym. And you're utilizing uh, the gym and the hallway for your kind of like sprint plyo, so sprint in the hallway, jumps and whatever else in, in the uh, basketball gym. Uh, yep. So just, uh, again, for, for clarification, third period, you're sprinting kids in the hallway. I'm taking an English test. I look up and someone's ripping by, hitting a max velocity. All right, so we are – we're away from the rest of any classrooms going on. So, yeah. So, so this, the hallway that I speak of is not like. I'm thinking you're, you're going down the history wing, <laughs> you know, like. No, 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 no. The and then if I had to, I would. But, but like I said, I am, I'm pretty blessed with it comes to like, we have our main gym and then you walk out double doors and I guess it's a foyer type area. You got the concession stand, uh, you got bathrooms. And then keep going a little bit, and then we've got our weight room. Uh, now, our special ed department, like, bless our special ed. We have a great relationship. I see their kids. Uh, her kids come to my gym. They're in my class. They're doing some stuff, too. Uh, but, like, she is, she is right there by our weight room, and, like, just I got some new speakers recently so like it's a party yeah. there in the weight room and like she she is amazing about not letting it bother her or her class uh but no we're we're not your typical hallway like this is a a pretty nice wide space uh probably 50 50 yards long wow uh to one of the entrances uh yeah, so like like I said, I, I'm fortunate to have that space and fortunate to have a principal that doesn't care that we're doing that. But anybody that's associated with that school knows what goes on right there. Like any teacher that walks by to go to the the copy work room or work room right yeah, there, well, like double double check. <laughs> they, they they're act they're they're acting like they're going to run some sprints. I'm like, your ass ain't going to yeah. get out here with this. But it would be awesome if yeah. you did, you know. Uh, I love it. And then, are there other phys ed classes going on in the gym while you're running these kind of like athletic periods? So we have we do have a PE and health guy that, uh, but we have an auxiliary gym, so he's. During during his uh, PE sessions, which is the first semester of school, he does his PE stuff. He's on the complete opposite side of the school with, in the auxiliary gym. 
and then right now he's in health. Uh, so not a, there's no overlap. There's no me having to share that the main gym with anybody unless we have like some career fair set up or picture day is a pain in the butt having to navigate that. But I mean, that's one or two days, one or two days a semester. Wow, so it's okay. not bad. No, that's great. Uh, Je- thank you again for clarifying just uh, like, how is all of this working? And yeah, yeah, you're bringing up memories of like going through health for uh, like a quarter of the year, sitting in a classroom like, this is awful. Like, what are we doing here? All right. So Tyler, you touched on, you spend one day a week on kind of work capacity stuff, which I, which I think is smart. I was at the tail end of my time in Florida because I saw those kids every day. I was starting to, you know, one day a week, we're working on work capacity. Uh, here in Texas is a bit different because I'll see kids maybe twice a week. And depending on when I see them, I will quite literally get 30 minutes, two days a week, including a warm up, quote unquote. And so we're, we're real tight. And it's interesting to, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it is when coaches or, you know, they'll ask, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we do this? And I was like, well, you have, we have you for 60 minutes a week, 30 minutes of time, two days a week. And uh, there's a hundred kids in here. So I can't, you know, I can't, I'm sorry that I can't program for the tennis team, your med ball wall tosses that you want to do. <laughs> Cause I got to get 120 kids through. Now, if you come at a different time and it's just mm-hmm. you, different you know different conversation we could throw that in there yeah you try uh, trying to hit the trying to hit the big big rocks you know yes yeah and that, and that's the you know we're we're getting hey we're getting good at the big rocks and so with that work capacity day and again you touched on it a little bit what uh for your robot work and your work capacity kind of a general thought process what are you trying to build toward um i'm seeing that you're doing a good bit uh with you personally, with your, with your heart rate and polar. And then I think you're doing some stuff with your private training too, but what are some typical things you like to do there? Uh, we don't do near enough in my class as far as low intensity stuff that I would like. Uh, one, because it's, it's hard to get a lot of those kids to buy in that low intensity actually is your base and it's going to help you recover from those high outputs uh, so we don't we don't hammer that enough in my class for that reason. Uh, I give them homework of trying to get ninety minutes of walking or jogging in on their own. But if they do that, you know, I don't know. I've got a handful of students that like picking my brain on the low intensity stuff and actually carry that out. Uh, so as far as my school day, our low intensity stuff is kind of built into that the Wednesday and kind of our warm-ups for our our speed days on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I know that you are supposed to have a lot of rest in between your sprints. I get that. And we do when we go to time our stuff in the hall. But a lot of the warm-up that I do on Tuesday and Thursday is kind of built around keeping it 75, 80% of our sprint mechanics and a nice little pace uh, to try to kind of expand their their work capacity, what they can handle. Uh, and it made me feel pretty good about myself. We had a kid that tore his ACL, and now he's back to where he is. He's running and stuff and got to participate yesterday in, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in our uh, short fly tens, which was awesome. Uh, 
but kind of watching him after every back and forth, whatever movement we're doing in our warm up, he was he was a little winded and out of breath. And all the other students that have been doing this same thing uh, since he went down in soccer season, it made me kind of reassurance that like, all right, we are getting a little bit of low intensity stuff during our warm ups. And I can tell because this guy hasn't been able to do much. Uh, and all the, all my other students are still carrying on conversations, not out of breath. And he's, <laughs> I can tell that he's breathing hard. Uh, so, so I guess <clears throat> I'm checking a couple of those boxes in our Tuesday, Thursday warm up, kind of moving things along and keeping it 75, 80% of their max speed sprint, whether they know what that is or not. <laughs> Uh, I think it's hard for anybody to kind of fill that out. Uh, but we are getting some of that done and trying to build a little bit of aerobic capacity in my classes that way. Uh, as far as my private clients go, whenever we, uh, whenever they sign up to train with me, we get, they are required to get a chest strap so we can base everything we do as far as conditioning off of their heart rate. Um, and that's a nod to Tim and Missy again. I thought I knew a lot about conditioning. Well, not a lot, but I thought I knew a little more than I did about conditioning before I signed up for the cohort. Uh, and they they really help guide on not only personally, but how to incorporate a lot of the stuff that they uh, program into your classrooms or with groups. Uh, so when my private clients, we do... Most of them meet me twice a week and we're they're with me about an hour, hour and fifteen. We do our our warm-ups and we hammer some strength imams that I've been a fan of with them. And then we do that first day of the week, we're doing some type of cardiac output, low intensity stuff, whether that's zone two or just different movements that uh five different movements, trying to go 25, 30 minutes. And then that second day they meet with me, we, we try to go see God and mm-hmm. push the limits a little bit on what they can handle. Uh, but when we do those those high-intensity days, it's, it's all based on their heart rate recovery and getting them back below 70% of that heart rate max before, before we go see God again. Uh, and... Feedback's been pretty awesome with that so far as far as those groups that I train and the clients. Uh, And I think they're seeing a lot of carryover when it comes to them playing their sports. And and so on these days, you're conditioning using heart rate, let's call it aerobic capacity, and then uh, pushing capacity on your other days. Are you incorporating any sort of sprint work on those days as well? Or is it like, hey, that's just a completely separate thing at a different time? So <clears throat> with my private clients yeah, pri- or classroom, private, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we we try to sprint both of those days. Uh, uh, and that is usually before we get into strength work. Uh, so the space that I pray, uh, train at privately, uh, we have to be able to go outside to run long flight ends. Uh, and if we're not able to go outside, we hammer some uh, sled sprints. We got about a 15-yard turfed-in area. We hammer, we hammer sled sprints, and we do some type of 
small-sided games where they're competing against each other. And then we still will still either do our uh, low-intensity conditioning. And then on the days that we, we're going to get in the red, uh, it depends on, you know, kind of how they feel if they've had club games that week. If they are hammered and drained from whatever sport they've been playing, then, you know, my programming kind of changes a little bit. I'm not going to hit that high-intensity stuff with them. I had a group of six the other day, and one of the girls that was in that group had three-hour gymnastics practice and club soccer game after that. So she was she was just riding the bike at a super low intensity while the other girls were 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off for 10 reps and like a four-minute break in between. Uh, but she – I didn't want her to go smash that CNS any more than it already that it already was the day before. You know, I'm just trying to get her back to where she feels good and ready to go the next day. Yeah, that was going to be my next question: is on the days where you're really pushing just uh, high heart rates and creating lactate and all that. Are you using an assault bike? Are you using sleds? Are you using all the above? Like, what's your kind of main methods and tools? So far, uh, a majority of it has been the okay, the yeah. echo bike uh i love the echo bike a lot more than the assault mainly because the seat is a lot <laughs> yeah, more comfortable uh, <laughs> uh but that that has been my my go-to uh now if we're in there at a time where i don't have to share with other members and their legs are decently fresh and they haven't been on their legs very much uh the prior days before they train with me we'll try to get some actual sprint wow. repeats in where we'll we'll t- we'll time their sprints we'll do like try to get like 10 10 yard sprints in within a minute and a half minute 45 and then a big rest uh but my biggest go-to so far has been the echo bike and i kind of love the the lactate rest they get in their quads because they're not used to feeling that and we're getting better at clearing that and that they're starting to see like my legs aren't burning as bad today when we do these uh high intensity bouts uh sometimes we get on the rower it just depends but the bike has been my biggest one so far with the bike this is getting real nitty-gritty here have you experimented at all with team sport athletes of having them stand while they're sprinting or are they primarily sitting Ooh, no i haven't had any stand uh that is something. Have you have you had any experience so, with that? Do you what kind of yeah, feedback so you got for me? I am heavily influenced with just a, a background trying to look good naked. Got into CrossFit, right? So this would be fourteen right. years ago. Uh, somewhat of an early adopter, and then following those kind of CrossFit athletes, uh, there's a big, big dog in the aerobic capacity world for CrossFitters named Chris Hinshaw. And he was recently on Mark Bell's Power Project uh, podcast, and he was talking about when you're doing your kind of aerobic work every now and then push your uh, higher CNS type of sprint on a bike and then continue kind of your jog there. Um, He was relating that more to in a marathon or triathlon, whatever, when you're racing somebody, you want to push them and then they have to catch up to you, push them. Then they have to catch up to you. He calls it snapping the rubber band. But anyway, 
he talks about when you're getting up on the assault bike or the echo bike, there's so much more stabilization that needs to happen. There's so much more fatigue that could be created in that. And yeah, it's just something I've tried to mess around with a little bit with my hockey players, but didn't know if that was something you've heard of, seen, have been messing around with at all. I have not, which is, that's really interesting. And I might try to incorporate some of that with them and, and see what that feedback is. Uh, the, the group of soccer girls that I train, I just feel like they despise me on the days that I'm programming that <laughs> yeah. type of stuff. But <clears throat> the feedback from them, like I'll ask them like, what are we feeling close to how we do when we're going all out on the soccer field? And they're like, we're it's very close to what, what it feels like when we're at that point of like, mm-hmm. I need a break. So I think we're, we're, we're doing some good stuff and we're still getting some strength work under fatigue at that point after their strength work, if that makes sense. Kind of the CrossFit yep. protocol. And, and I was telling Ross before you hopped on, my, my wife is L2 certified wow. and coaches at some, a local gym here that mm-hmm. we co-own. Uh, and one of the things there, so Murray State soccer girls, there's about six of them that have joined the gym that we're at and they have like Murray state has their own strength and conditioning coach that sees them. And so I, I remember picking their brains one day, like, well, why, why do you, why'd you join tribe fitness? If you know, you've got your, your boxes checked already with your strength coach. And they're like, this is a lot harder than what we're used to. And we just, we like, we like feeling that like we're, we're really pushing our limits. So it got me thinking like, there's got to be a way to incorporate some safe type CrossFit protocol stuff and still get some benefit from these athletes that I'm training. So some people might call the stuff that we do, the AMRAPs and the EMOMs that we're doing in my private sessions, CrossFit stuff, but just a different way of training, I guess. Semantics. Yeah, it, it just is what it is. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there with sometimes athletes just want to feel that way. And yeah. at the end of the day, like compliance is one of the the biggest factors. And if that's what they need to kind of feel good or feel like they're working hard, if you could dose it wisely, yeah, it's going to work. So Absolutely. again, like For sure. uh, early university working out at a CrossFit gym, uh, lacrosse players from Liberty, uh, from uh, University of Lynchburg were coming in. And now it's like, oh, okay, they just wanted a little bit more. They wanted a little bit harder. And yeah, if you give them that kind of right dose or stimulus and a bike, especially is just, it's non-invasive. It's not going to kill them. You could do it wisely, do it smartly. Yeah. Right. Just, just helping them, I guess, find that limit that, that they're trying to reach and hopefully expand that limit to where they can handle more of that. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of that with our, my private stuff so far. So I'm going to keep doing keep doing it till it doesn't work anymore yeah no it it works i i definitely get it but i'll be interested yeah try try out standing on the bike for i will man i'll get back with you uh it just creates more fatigue because there's so much more stabilization that occurs and goes on have you have you tried it personally like on yourself yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah um i found i get a little bit more winded i can't I can't produce the as great a wattage 
on it. it it's weird like you can because you're standing you're gonna put more weight into each pedal and like if you know like shift side to side a little bit so your whole body weight can kind of get on it um but it does fatigue you out so you could put out some good outputs but they're they're harder to kind of keep them and kind of harder to last um but i feel like okay this could be a little bit more sport specific if so if we're the, being honest the echo bike for me <laughs> it's so weird like my heart rate like i can be going all out on the echo bike and my heart rate doesn't get near as high as like if I'm going to sprint for 30 seconds straight mm. personally, <clears throat> but I feel like I'm about to die on the echo bike when I'm pushing it. Like that taste of blood gets in my throat. Yeah. I don't ever, I don't feel like that when I'm sprinting all out for however long that needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't understand why. I don't know if it's the mechanical load when I'm sprinting, but like, the echo bike, when I push it, it makes me feel like death. My heart rate does not get as high as sprinting, though. I don't know. That, it's an anomaly. <laughs> th- there there could be something there of less, less muscles have to work when you're stabilized on a bike. So they're not going to chew up as much lactate right. and buffer out that acid as when you're running and everything's kind of moving. Yeah. So the running, the running form pattern especially when you don't have as great a joint angles in your knee and hip, which kind of locks the lactate in. Yeah. Um, running could potentially just be more efficient at clearing out the lactate. Therefore you could hit higher heart rates because you know, your body's not shutting down because your pH levels are off. You're so smart. Just, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Just, just kind of like a thought there. No, it's uh, I steal everything from Chris Henshaw aerobic capacity. <laughs> like everyone's got to look, look that guy up. Um, so yeah, potentially there. And two, like I working with hockey players, like they, they live on the bike in acid baths. So just a little, <laughs> bit, of ex- little bit of experience. That's awesome, man. Yeah. But talk, talk a bit about, and I know Ross wanted to get into that. Um, you're mentioning sprinting and even, I mean, I know we're kind of hammering that capacity and, um, well, you know, doing higher reps and whatever else with a heart rate monitor type of days. But, uh, Talk a bit about your sprinting. Uh, it's the sexy thing all over the internet now, which it wasn't five, 10 years ago for me. Uh, how are you tracking that You know, at your high schools? What are you using? We've talked about the hallway. We've talked about the gym. Uh, just dive into that a little bit for us. Uh, so the big thing I'm using for tracking on my sprint days are my eyeballs. <laughs> uh, essentially, that's that's – how we make adjustments in their, their form and technique. But, uh, I use Dasher when we time, uh, I feel like kids try a little bit harder when they know the times are there. Uh, but like I said, I'm using my eyes, uh, I'll record as much as I can. Some of those kids for some feedback on mechanics. And I think both of you can attest that, when a kid's actually seeing what they're doing instead of us just telling them, it's a lot easier for those, for them to fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get a lot of athletes, you know, when we're trying to fix things in our sprint mechanics, their times get worse and they get frustrated. Yeah. But I'm not worried near as much about that because I've had a couple kids come through where they they're sprinting. Let's say they run, 
their best is like a 103. And uh, one kid comes to mind in particular, but he's his backside mechanics are just super long and he's he's almost falling over towards the end of his long sprint. So we're we're constantly on our sprint days trying to uh, adjust as much as I can with a big group of kids. Like we need to be working on this to to get us more upright when we're in that max velocity phase. Mm-hmm. And here in the past couple of weeks, his times have been like a one hundred eight, a one hundred seven, and it's it's hard to get him to understand. But you you're a lot smoother one hundred eight and one hundred seven. Like mm-hmm. your mechanics look so much better than they did when you're hitting 103s, almost falling forward, you know? Uh, so it's hard to get those kids to understand, like, just stay the course. Like, we're making pretty big changes in your mechanics. You look so much smoother running with this 107, and I guarantee you stick with the process and keep doing what we're doing, and then that 103 is going to be there, and that's going to be your new baseline again with a lot smoother transition into that max velocity phase uh hope that answered the question of what i'm using to track sprints <laughs> it also sounded really smart so <laughs> there right well that um, doesn't happen very often so thank you <laughs> no no i i love it and i i just love the the coaching wisdom there of it might be a little slower but in the long run this is going to last a lot longer right just even having that efficiency of better sprint mechanics that'll last later into the game than the fall forward momentum based kind of sprinting. Well, and I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that I'll have a student come up to me and say, I'm not feeling very good today. I'm not feeling fast. And then they said a PR and they're like, that felt slow. I said, it felt slow to you, but it looks smooth to me. Like yeah. Yeah. if you're able to find that balance of just run, like, all the work you've put in and just go run and not worry about setting PRs and just be like in tune with your body when you're running, like big things can happen. And mm. like it, it proves them like, Oh, maybe I, maybe I do just need to think smooth the whole time instead of trying to go as hard as I possibly can every time. And, and that, that's such a perfect word to use. Cause again, even like at the college level, I have that all the time. When I'm tracking my sprints, I always ask, how did that feel? Uh, it felt slow. Did it feel <laughs> slow or did it feel smooth? Because you just said a PR. Oh, I did? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it happens all the time. And even that even translates on the ice with hockey. And so it's got to translate to, you know, the field, the court, uh, wherever of the smoothest skaters are the fastest. The the guy that, ah! looks all crazy. Like that's the, sl- that's the slow guy. They're trying to trick you with effort. Yeah. Like there hasn't been very many times where I'll have a kid come and say, I'm going to set a PR today. And they set a PR. Mm-hmm. It's the days that they're not expecting to do anything. They're just coming to get their work in, just run their stuff the best they can. And that's usually when that PRs happen, not when they're trying to go set them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you tell those kids to run at ninety percent, and then they set a PR or they run faster, they that they're like, "What just happened?" I'm like, I know what just happened. <laughs> like Coach Frank, happen. Coach Frank knows a little bit. As soon yeah. as uh, when I when I, I did that a couple times in Florida because I ran way more sprints with those kids just because of the setup, and right. and but, hey, just run this one at ninety percent, just see what happens. Okay, 
boom, faster. They're like, no way. And then there's just <laughs> no way. This whole, yeah. like, uh, and there was one kind of drastic example of a kid that when we started, he ran like a five, one ish. And then he ended up being at a four, seven something. But when he started, his feet were just super heavy and just would smash the floor. I mean, smash the floor. I'm like, dude, just relax. Just relax for a minute. And then, you know, long story short, he built it up. And then you're running across the gym, and now he's just floating, and it's just smooth. I'm like, thank goodness. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. Um, okay, so Tyler, this will be the last question for me kind of as you finish up, and Chris might have some follow-ups here. Uh, what's the latest thing you're into training-wise? Like, what's got your attention? What are you trying to learn more about? Uh, personally, I've been using the sandbag quite a bit. Uh, it makes me wish that I had one for every rack at in my classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I don't have one light enough that I could use with my clients, but I've, I love just the functionality, the diversity that the sandbag has to offer. Uh, as far as with my, my classes, I've been really big into trying to move our spine as much as we can in different directions we uh, we do a, a landmine, I call it a landmine side press that I saw from Danny Foley where we're kind of just going this way with it, getting to that end range, and then getting as much more we can out of that spine bending that way. Uh, I had some some back issues back in the day, and, you know, I still deal with them here and there, but they have decreased so much the more that I'm just moving my spine as much as I can. I hate that it took me so long to figure that out, but I'd say this, the sandbag is, I try to use that sandbag every time that I'm doing any type of strength work uh, for myself. And then just, just moving our spines in my classes. We, we started doing some overhead med ball, uh, side bends too on our warm ups, uh, weight room on our sprint days, big body circles, just just moving all the directions we can under a light load. Uh, but uh, nothing groundbreaking. That's groundbreaking. Let, yeah, <laughs> let's have a let's have a discussion here, quick. Ross, you hear the word sandbag. Like I, I have my thoughts and I'll get to them here in a second, but like, what are you thinking there? Wedding crashers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, a ton of GPP work. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what I think of when I think sandbags, good bit of core, um, you know, the different carries and stuff we can do with them. It's something I used a good bit with wrestling when I was at Liberty because we had them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That sort of grip strength and whatnot. I um, mean that that's what's coming to me is again in that GPP fitness type of stuff that a lot of a lot of young kids need. So years ago I got exposed to the USA women's um Olympic uh coach and strength conditioning coach. The strength conditioning coach is actually Jimmy Radcliffe. So it was a really sprint heavy program. I loved it. And then the coach said, Yeah, we didn't touch upper body. But we were using really, really heavy like steel balls and stick handling with them. So yeah, you're going to build up absolute you know strength specific to the sport of hockey. And somehow or another, I just got this thought and theory of what if we just train upper body with all med balls, all rotational, all movement, all throwing, 
because at the end of the day in sport you're you're going to be going maximal power there's some sort of release with it whatever else uh, all the rotation kind of involved in it so as great as a bench press is as great as you know a landmine press and everything all those things i love what if we're standing three feet from a wall with a 30, 40, 50 pound med ball and we're trying to release it one arm, kind of punch it into the wall? And what if I'm right up against that wall, side facing just with a 50 pound ball, <clears throat> ripping it into there? Like the amount of core and the amount of, uh, let's just call it force absorption. So that ball is hitting off the wall and I need to catch it and stabilize it. And I just keep thinking of like, combat with again everything's through a hockey lens through me like they're fighting each other up against the walls they're fighting each other uh in front of the net same thing with you know football it's it's combat right there on the line so yeah i've had this thought theory and i've talked about it for years i've never done it like i've never pulled the trigger but (laughs) even just yesterday being in the weight room at liberty ross was referencing we have hundreds seventies fifty pound medicine balls in there and Oof. every now and then I just think like, man, this, uh, this could be it. Like, this could be something for the future. Do your chin-ups, your rows, your TRX <clears throat> stuff for your pulling exercises. And then just all, you know, med ball throwing heavy sandbag type stuff to just, just make it all transfer, have, have strength that will take you outside of the weight room and on, onto the field court, ice, wherever. Uh, I love that, man. And one of one of the holdups, I guess, incorporating in my class is first of all getting the funding for the sandbags, but it, the logistics. Where are you yeah, going to put it all? How yeah. are you going to get all this money? Yeah, yeah. And the, and then I guess figuring out like different weights because I mean mm-hmm. the plethora of students. I like. Yep. How do I? I don't. I don't know what size sandbag and removing some of the weight out of it to to let it meet some of the needs of my weaker athletes, but. Mm-hmm. I think for sure, like a lot of my students would love to have that incorporated. It's just a matter of, you know, getting those logistics figured out and then going from there. But I think I'm a huge fan of the sandbag and the med ball stuff you were talking about would be legit. I don't know how how long my students could go without bench pressing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't care less about bench press but they love it like we're not even doing barbell bench right now we're doing single arm dumbbell bench this nine weeks and even my gym bros that are hitting like barbell bench outside of my class are like when are we doing bench again i'm like i know that you're doing bench press on your own so (laughs) like i don't care that you're not getting it in my class Mm -hmm. so rounded forward yeah uh i'd love to incorporate incorporate the sandbag at some point but who knows when that'll be? Yeah, it's all the great ideas, but limited on space, limited on resources, the logistics, where are we going to store them? How are we going to use them? Different weights for different people. Yeah, it's uh, that again, that's why the barbell is so great. You, it's 45, right. 35, 10 pounds. You could add weight, take it off. It it works for everybody sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's could could be limited, limited in some capacities. True, 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 true. Yeah. yeah, Chris, I totally forgot you had that that whole theory and thought process from years ago. As soon as you started talking about it, I was like, yep, I forgot he had this this thing. I so, love that. I, I, was, I was working out yesterday do, uh, over at our uh, our complex weight room, doing monkey bars, you know, doing some uh, overhead work. And I was like, man, 
this could be it. This could be something. I just, I need, I need to quit wor- and uh, work with fighters. I think fight fighters would be all over Ooh. some UFC guys. Yeah, uh, something like that. One, That'd be one interesting. Day. That's my re- my retirement plan. I have faith in you, man. You can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it, Chris. You want to wrap us up here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Tyler, thank you for uh, taking us all on a journey here. Um, and kind of, like I said at the beginning, the more and more I communicate with guys at the high school level, you have consistent athletes, you have, you know, the same types of just kind of is what it is headaches that everybody has in terms of, you know, certain athletes and coaches and creating buy-in. Um, but you guys are truly on the ground floor, kind of, uh, breaking ground for the guys above and you're not working with hand selected freaks. Um, so when you figure out something that works, it definitely works. And when you figure out the logistics of your different areas and spaces, it definitely works. A huge takeaway for me uh, that I got today, Tyler, and I hope a lot of uh, the the listeners will as well, is create relationships, have no ego, reach out and talk to people. Uh, you know, that list you gave of coaches who influenced you and then just what you're doing at the state level there in Kentucky is, is awesome. The fact that you have a group chat of people that are open and willing to share the fact that you're willing to hop on calls with, uh, you know, first year, second year, whatever year coaches and who are going through the same struggles that we all go through, but they think they're alone on this Island. Uh, I really think you're, you're pushing the field forward. I think you're doing an awesome job there at, uh, at Murray as well. So really appreciate it. And, uh, any, any kind of closing thoughts for, for you there, Tyler, anything you might want to add or, speak on. And then of course, please make sure you give the, the social media handles out here for everybody as well. Uh, no, man, you pretty much nailed it. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, like I said, I'm just, I just want to make an impact in some form or fashion, whether that's strength and conditioning or just trying to be a better version of yourself. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of this conversation. You guys had great questions, great segues, uh, and nothing else to add. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think my Twitter handle, which is all I've got on social media is T Y R Y two O two. Yeah. Tyler Ryan, Ty Y two O twos. Uh, uh, but I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This was awesome. We'll have to do it no, again. We, Not on a podcast. We, we <laughs> yeah, no, we, we really enjoyed it. So thanks for coming on. And, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you are in Kentucky and you are not in contact with Tyler yet, um, reach out to him on Twitter, I'm assuming, and then you can probably find him through some sort of state directory on the, oh gosh, N-H-S-S-C-A. You did it, uh, man. Make, make sure you're following him. And if you're you're out of state at the high school level, sorry. All right, this has been another <laughs> episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Thank you guys for tuning in. Tyler, you're the man. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for listening to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. We also have videos and clips of each episode on our Victory Over Self Radio YouTube channel. Like and subscribe and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover. See y'all next time.